Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. It is Sunday morning when this episode is airing. About a week ago, I had an episode on cemetery types, traditions, and markers. And I had a lot of positive feedback on that particular episode. And I thought, well, I will continue today um, with some other interesting details from a book written by Twee Snyder and is called Understanding Cemetery Symbols, a Field Guide for Historic Graveyards. And as many of you know, I spend a lot of time uh, visiting historic cemeteries and trying to uh, put together stories. I put those on my YouTube channel. I visited most of the cemeteries in the Battle Creek area. There's still a few I still have to get to. But this book has been a wonderful resource. And as the weather warms up and I start going back out to visit these historic cemeteries, the information within this book is going to be quite useful. So I thought I would share some information today on a topic about gravestone decorations or items left often referred to as grave goods or graveyard goods. So we're going to delve into that chapter in Twee Snyder's book today. So come along and join me. So if you've taken time to explore cemeteries, and perhaps you've never ventured over to one uh, or spent much time there, but if you do, you will notice a peculiar custom that is universally seen in a lot of American cemeteries. In fact, if you travel around the world, you will see various versions of this, and that is that people will leave items at a grave. They'll either leave it on the headstone marker or on the grave itself. And when people visit graves, they leave these items and oftentimes they are coins, pebbles, seashells, decorations, and items of all sorts that usually can have some sort of connection to the person that is buried there. And they are referred to as grave goods in the general sense of uh, the practice. Now, sometimes the items left at the gravesite is something that once belonged to the deceased, or it's something that is associated with the deceased. Grave goods may be left on the top of the gravesite or buried with the deceased. They can also can be left on the headstone. The famous rocker Dimebag Daryl offers a good example for both types of grave goods. Not only is he buried with one of Eddie Van Halen's guitars, but visitors often leave little bottles of booze on his grave as a tribute to his hard, partying, rock and roll lifestyle. Grave decorations, on the other hand, are simply items meant to beautify a gravesite. In modern graveyards, it is not uncommon to often see solar-powered lights, colorful pinwheels, and wind chimes as grave decorations. And I can tell you that um, is true visiting Oak Hill Cemetery, there's quite a number of those types of uh, pinwheels and cemetery lights, you might call them, the ones that are powered by solar, placed on grave sites. In fact, there's one, as you drive down to Union City, I was driving down there at night, and it looked like almost the whole cemetery is lit up by these solar-powered lights. It's almost kind of eerie. So Twee Snyder writes that grave goods were a common sight. Up until the 1930s, grave goods were a common sight throughout the U.S., no matter which ethnicity, 
background or religious belief was involved, except for Jewish people. And she'll discuss more about that later. Americans of all racial and ethnic backgrounds frequently left household items and toys at grave sites. In some communities, these items were often intentionally broken before being placed on the grave. This sometimes led to the misconception that mourners were using the family grave as a trash heap when it was actually a symbolic gesture on their part. After the Great Depression, perpetual care became the norm for modern American cemeteries, and cemetery organizations became much more strict about what types of grave goods that could be allowed to be left at a gravesite. Even so, the practice still continues to a greater or lesser degree today. And then she starts uh, discussing the different ethnic cultures. And the Mexican-Americans have a unique cultural tradition surrounding the use of grave goods. Although they may leave items at grave sites throughout the year, it's especially noticeable around the celebration of the Day of the Dead. And this celebration combines the beliefs from Mayan and Aztec and Catholic traditions. The bulk of the Mexican-American Day of the Dead festivities take place on All Hallows' Eve, which is October 31st, All Saints' Day, November 1st, and All Souls' Eve, November 2nd, although the celebrations may continue through mid-November. While respectful, these celebrations are not sorrowful. It is meant as a celebration. During this time, families gather in the cemetery to clean the graves of their ancestors, to decorate them with offerings called offerendas, which may include candles, favorite food items, sugar skulls, candy skeletons, bottles of booze, and other items. Bright orange Mexican marigolds feature prominently in the Day of the Dead floral arrangements. This is because of the belief that spirits are attracted to the distinct odor of marigolds, which use its scent to guide them to the land of the living and back again. In addition to the Days of the Dead, Mexicans, Americans may also visit grave sites throughout the year to commemorate birthdays and other special occasions. And I also had an experience with that one day. Uh, it was around Mother's Day weekend. Um, I found myself exploring Oak Hill Cemetery. I was walking around looking for some very specific grave sites to include in a video and there was a mexican-american family holding this celebration at uh, one of their family members graves and they, they were playing music and everybody was laughing and cheering and it was like this uh, private little party right at somebody's gravesite. and i thought that was quite wonderful but i definitely stayed out of their way and didn't interfere with what they were doing so in addition to the days of the dead mexican-american grave markers may also contain special niche called nichos. Uh, nichos symbolize a labyrinthine caves. The Mesoamericans believe the soul must journey through the afterlife. Offerings left inside these nichos are meant to facilitate the deceased journey and appease any entities they encounter along the way. Asian American grave goods are also distinctly different. Many Asian cultures designate special times of the year for cleaning and maintaining their ancestors' graves. Some also place food and flowers as offerings. They may also burn incense and money, not real money, but paper meant to symbolize money at the grave. In China and Korea, April 5th is a holiday called Qingming, which means Tomb Sweeping Day. 
In addition to visiting graves on birthdays, many Asian cultures have special rituals associated with the anniversary of the deceased death. Romani Americans, sometimes called gypsies or travelers, are so close-knit and not integrated into mainstream society that the average U.S. citizen is unaware of their existence. For this reason, they are often called the Hidden Americans, and their population is estimated to be about one million. In Texas, Romani Americans may picnic at a gravesite. Uh, at the time when they do this, they drink soda, beer, or liquor at the grave of a loved one, and they often leave the empty cans and bottles behind as grave goods. Grave goods are not a common practice in Jewish cemeteries. However, small pebbles are often left on graves by visiting friends and families. For Jews and Christians alike, leaving a stone at a grave is a nod to Genesis 13, 19-20, in which Jacob erects a pillar at Rachel's gravesite. By leaving a pebble on a grave, it symbolizes building a pillar to your loved one's honor. Coins on graves. Now, this is something that is quite common. I have seen this myself at a lot of cemeteries, and I'm sure you have as well. The practice of leaving coins with the deceased dates back to the ancient Greeks, who believed the rivers Styx and Archeron separated the living from the dead. A ferry trip was required to cross these waters, otherwise the soul of the deceased would be forced to wander the riverbanks for a hundred years. To avoid this, ancient Greeks placed a coin in the mouths of their dead as a way to pay the Charon, as this ancient ferryman was called. These days, coins may be found just about on anyone's grave, and often you'll see them on the graves of historic figures, especially criminals such as the notorious Machine Gun Kelly. Perhaps even now we worry that criminals and outcasts may need assistance in the afterlife. That said, the main purpose for leaving coins on a grave simply appears to be a way of letting others know this person is still remembered. Now, she goes in to describe that there is a bit of an urban legend surrounding coins on military graves. Uh, this urban legend first began making its rounds on the internet in around 2009, and it claimed that when coins were seen on military headstones, the different denominations meant specific things. A quarter, for instance, allegedly means you served in the same unit as the deceased, or a quarter meant that you were present when the deceased lost his life. While researching the book, Twee Snyder was unable to find any reference to the origins of this practice. She finally went to Snopes.com, a website that specialized in alerting people to urban legends, and it turns out this is a modern myth. Of course, you will still find coins on military headstones, but just like that, you'll find that on most anybody's headstone. That being said, grave goods ranging from stuffed animals and photographs to military medals and coins frequently appear on American military headstones in cemeteries. There's even something called a challenge coin, that may be left by military personnel on a headstone. Challenge coins are non-monetary metal tokens that some military units provide in order to promote morale. These tokens may be inscribed with a soldier's unit or other identifying information. Like other grave goods, a challenge coin may be left on a military headstone. Now, if you have also traveled 
down in Florida or other parts of the country, you may have seen seashells placed on gravestones. But I've also seen them here in Michigan, um, the seashells being impregnated into the concrete that might be on somebody's headstone. So seashells have a very interesting uh, history. Uh, Graves adorned with seashells are fairly common in historic graveyards throughout the South, not just in the coastal regions, as you might expect. The practice extends quite far inland, and Twee Snyder had some challenges in finding the history or the origins behind the symbolic meaning of seashells on American graves. And it was kind of difficult to pinpoint the exact symbolic meaning and cultural origins of the practice. But she did find several references to it. Decorating graves with seashells is such an ancient custom that it even predates the ancient Egyptians. Of all the practices researched in her book, decorating graves with seashells appears to be the most primal. Uh, In the Greek and Roman origins, the seashells were a symbol of divine feminine. Venus, the Roman goddess of love and fertility, was said to have been birthed by a sea foam and carried to the show on a scalloped shell. In Christian origins, over time, these Greek and Roman beliefs seeped into the Christianity and its cultures. Some believe that the Mother Mary herself is a nod to how oceans gave birth to life and point out that her name comes from the Latin word Mary, meaning sea. In addition to the connection with the Virgin Mary, seashells are a symbolic reference to religious pilgrimage. This is because during the Middle Ages, pilgrims often sewed scalloped seashells into their garments as they traveled and used seashells to mark the pathways for others to follow. In Christianity, seashells also symbolize spiritual protection and are associated with baptism. In Catholic churches, the tool used to sprinkle water on the heads of babies during their baptism is often shaped like a scalloped shell. African Americans who decorate their graves with seashells may have carried the practice to America from their ancestors rather than taking the idea from Christianity. Historians point out that African tribes from the Congo region often apply seashells to mounted dirt graves. According to their beliefs, the spirit world was a brightly lit place and dead people became gleaming white creatures who lived beneath rivers and lakes covering graves in bleached white shells was considered a way to help the deceased blend into the bright white world of the afterlife. Sometimes, rather than being part of the monument itself, seashells are left on a grave. Specifically, conch shells and whelks are frequently seen in historic cemeteries. Twee Snyder was told when she looked into this by several people that it means a loved one made a pilgrimage to the deceased's grave, leaving a shell behind as a reminder of their visit. In addition, symbolically, the spiral shape of a conch shell represents the challenging spiritual path of life and death. So that's a little history of items that you will find at grave sites. Now I wanted to tell you a little bit of my experiences uh, once again, if you want to get a copy of Twee Snyder's book, it is called Understanding Cemetery Symbols, A Field Guide for Historic Graveyards. And I'll put a link 
to where you can buy a copy of her book on Amazon in the show note descriptions because it's really something that you want to have in your library and certainly keep it in your car if you're into visiting historic cemeteries. Uh, one of the experiences I had, I was working on a filming project up in Bath, Michigan, and there is a terrible story that happened up in Bath, if you're not familiar with it. This was a school bombing that happened in the 1930s, and I was putting together a video on the story, and several children um, were killed in the bombing of the Bath School. And I'll put a link to my video that I ultimately made about this uh, on there. But if you watch the video, you will see that I visited the grave sites of many of the children that are buried in the bath. I went to two different cemeteries in my trip there and found the grave sites of well over two dozen children and included it in the video. And many of those children had little objects on their grave that were um, toys and little mini miniature toys that were placed on their headstones as a remembrance to their childhood because uh, all of them were killed when they were going to school and many of them were under the age of uh, 12 you know they were all little kids and it's just um, it was kind of moving and very sad I found uh, myself straightening out these little um, mermaids and little toys and things that had been placed on their headstones when I saw them tipped over when I was doing the video, I was just kind of compelled to straighten up their graves when I was there. Um, and it's just, uh, it was a symbol of their childhood, you know. And I found that really compelling. And then I became more interested in this sort of practice when I began to visit a lot of cemeteries. And you'll often see things like that at grave sites. Um, some of them get to be a little bit cluttered and cheesy looking in a lot of respects. I mean, these ones are loaded down with pinwheels and things like that. But, but you know, when you stand back and look at it and you visited these a while, you recognize that the reason their family members are doing that is that so the person can be remembered. And I guess the wind is symbolic in a lot of ways for people and also the the glittering flags or you know flags are put out at headstones especially on memorial day you'll see these placed all across uh, cemeteries especially when uh, on the military um, grave sites and it's um you'll see that on veterans day as well but mostly on memorial day and it is um just another thing that you will see placed at a grave site Flowers are another thing that are common, although cemeteries do have posted signs and warnings about types of flowers. It used to be a common thing for people to go plant trees and things right next to a grave, and they, most of the cemeteries now have abolished that practice and will not allow you to do that. And there's good reason for that. The trees continue to grow, and then they'll, they cause more damage, and you will find cases like this all over cemeteries in the older ones around southwest Michigan and all over Michigan where trees have overcome and swallowed up headstones. Uh, there's a couple of examples of this right here in the Battle Creek area. There's one over at um, Oak Hill Cemetery, Theron Mason's grave, who was a Civil War veteran. His headstone is almost completely consumed by the tree that was planted next to his grave. In fact, you'll see the uh, the marble military headstone absorbed into the tree trunk itself. There's another one when I was out filming at Bedford Cemetery, this large oak tree. And I thought, oh, that's a beautiful tree. And I was standing next to it looking for another headstone. 
And then I noticed there was the corner of a piece of marble sticking out of the oak trunk. And I thought, wow. So there's a headstone completely, almost completely absorbed in the trunk of that tree. And another 20 years, you won't even know that there was a headstone inside that tree. It's that far gone in terms of being absorbed by the tree. And there's a lot of these examples all over Michigan. And um, probably not so much out west, probably the practice changed a little bit when you get out into the prairie lands. But uh, that was something that was a practice for quite a while. Now, some items, when they're left at grave sites, will be removed because they are cleaning up the graves for mowing purposes and that sort of thing. So the larger items often will get uh, removed if you leave them out there. And um, some of the cemeteries have seasonal practices that they follow where you can have an urn out there, but you have to take the urn down by the fall um, and put it up in the spring and you know be mindful of their mowing schedules and that sort of thing. So some families do adhere to that, but you'll often see urns and things that are neglected sitting out at cemeteries. There's a lot of that at Oak Hill where people probably followed the practice for a few years after the person was interred there and somewhere along the line it just never continued as a fact practice by the family. And so you'll see half-broken urns and um, vases and things sitting on people's uh, grave sites that are kind of in a state of neglect. But perhaps the most frequent thing that I observe and see is coins and pebbles. Those are uh, quite common on uh, headstones. And when you travel around the country, the cemeteries vary from region to region and how they are maintained and kept. And I have to kind of tell you the story about my parents' gravesite. They are buried in Payson, Arizona. And the first time I went to see my mother's grave, my father had just passed away and we were burying him beside her. And they were all flat headstones um, out at this cemetery. There were a few upright ones. And I noticed that the area had a lot of hoof marks all over the place and the cemetery and a lot of uh, animal droppings. And the cemetery uh, curator was there when we were setting up for his ceremony. And they said that, uh, yeah, there's elk that walk around the cemetery at night and eat the grass and And so you'll see elk droppings all over the cemetery. So whenever they're doing a service for somebody that day, they try to get out there and pick up the elk droppings in the area before people get there if they can. Um, But I thought that was kind of a unique aspect of it. And I think my parents would probably laugh about that, that the elk are pooping on their graves. But uh, it's just one of the nature things that you you experience. Uh, I've been out at Oak Hill Cemetery in Battle Creek and seen a lot of deer walking around early in the morning. And they've told me over at Fort Custer National Cemetery that they have many times seen people put flowers on graves. And they even have some photos where there's a bunch of deer out there just eating the flowers. And uh, in the fog, you know, they say it's kind of a a, a joke that, you know, you put live flowers on a grave, they don't last long there at um, Fort Custer Cemetery because the, the deer will come and eat it. And um, so it's just part of wildlife and nature and uh, just a, another little bit of an aspect to exploring cemeteries that you learn. But um, I just thought I'd share some of that history with you today and some of the practice and the, and the, the background behind grave goods that you will see placed on headstones and markers. Because I know when I started exploring old cemeteries, and I was new to it, 
And a lot of these customs and traditions I didn't quite understand. And I thought that it was peculiar and I always wanted to know more about it. So uh, it's good to uh, to know some of the origins of these practices and gives you a little bit more respect when you go visit these uh, cemeteries. So that being said, that's going to conclude today's episode. If you enjoyed what I covered today in this episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I am always happy to hear from my listeners. And if you'd like to follow me on Facebook, go to Michael Delaware Author and hit follow. I am picking up a lot more people following my page there, and I do greatly appreciate it. And if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, I can be found at Michigan History Guy. And once again, you can pre-order my book on the website, michaeldelaware.com. That book is Victorian Southwest Michigan True Crime. And I am less than a month away from the book's release, so I'm getting pretty excited about that. Also, a lot of uh, busy stuff happening in my life, trying to prepare for all the speaking engagements that I have lined up. I have roughly 20 speaking engagements over three months lined up on my calendar, so it's a bit of a challenge and a little bit overwhelming. I had originally put out you know, the feelers to a lot of people early on, and then... I got a lot of feedback and people wanted to schedule with me. I got more response than I ever expected. So I've got about 20 to 21 different speaking engagements to various groups. And some of them are open to the general public. Most of them are open to the general public. A few of them are for private groups and that sort of thing. So it is going to be a very busy March, April, and May for me. So once again, as a reminder, in early March, the podcast episodes will be going to a two-week airing schedule starting the uh, second week in March. But I will bring a reminder as we get closer on that. But until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.